Hey, we're in a series, week three. Let's get it started. As you can tell with my dance, I'm out of breath already. And start working out. This, uh, this is the third week. We're going through four categories. And I, wanna, I want you to kind of see over the next five years, we're going after these four things. And if you're new to Kingsway, this is perfect because you, you know where we're going. You know what we're about. John 10.10 10 is our, uh, kind of our purpose-filled verse. So we want to pursue full life. We want everyone to experience what it's like to experience full life in Christ. But over the next five years, we're like, hey, let's get healthy. Let's just see healthy steps. And so this is what we're pursuing. So we walked through these two over the last two weeks. I encourage you to go back and check those out. Last week, we kind of defined love. The week before that, we just talked about there is a need for discipleship. And it really starts with redefining light. Redefining light. And so today, I'm going to wade into the very fun topic of parenting. And I will admit, uh, right off the bat, that when I mentioned we're going to talk about parenting today, there are two categories of people in here. Actually, more, but really two. Uh, one category that really is either done parenting, and they're like, I don't want any more to do with it, uh, or is at a place where they're like, I am not a parent, and why would I care? All right? And then there is another group of people. They either found themselves parenting again after a surprise or with grandkids more than they thought and they forgot what they knew, right? Or you're in the thick of it, like I am. And you're like, man, this thing didn't come with good enough instructions. They just let me leave the hospital with a bill. What now? And I'll tell you, if there is a way for me to feel less confident and more scared <laughs> at times. It is trying to talk to a room full of people that have either been or have experienced or are in the thick of it or even trying to make you understand what it's like to try to be a parent. Because I think we all have our own perspective. This is really nice with this hat. I can get this light. I can see you. This is awesome. Now I know who's falling asleep. Yeah, I'm to make a list. I forgot my pen. So what I'm going to do, difficult subject at times, or a subject that we're just hopeful one day that would be something that we could be interested in, maybe in a desire to be a parent, or maybe one of those things that you feel so defeated and you have had some struggles in this area that you feel like your kids, everything you try just doesn't work. Or whether you're just like sitting there going, I need something, give me something. So I'm going to try to use a really fun, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 15. Um, it is probably my favorite parable that Jesus ever teaches, but in order to set the parable up, I need to kind of set the, the kind of prequel, because Jesus always tells these parables, which a parable, just try to lay this out. A parable is a story, and the characters in the story and the story itself is not historical in the sense that it's not like a real story. It's meant to capture your imagination, but you use real scenarios and real opportunities in order to capture it and to bring things to light in a really powerful way. Um, it, it, it does what, what sometimes you experience in like a fairy tale, but it does it in a, in a very powerful and intentional way. And Jesus told these stories with two groups of people in mind. He told them cryptically and with a little bit of symbolism and hidden meaning because he wanted the people that were leaning in and paying attention to get it, but he wanted the people that were leaning out and judging and not desiring him to miss it. 
That's what would happen. So he would tell these parables, and those that were there with the right heart and the right reasons, listening intently, desiring to learn, would, would, would almost have this moment of like, oh, he can't be saying that. That's not sure. I don't like it. I don't want this. I don't want him. They would miss the point. So in Luke chapter 15, he records three such parables. I don't have time to read all three. I don't have time to go into all the fullness, but I want you to get the purpose of all three. And so I'm going to read you the last line of the, the first two, and then we're going to focus on the third one. Okay? So the last line of the first story is the parable of the lost sheep. In 15.7, it says this. After telling the story of the sheep that is lost and is found, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. 100 sheep, one gets lost, more rejoicing over the one that repents than the 99 that don't. Okay? Cool. Lost sheep found, we need to repent. Then he goes to the story of a lost coin. This woman loses a coin. It's a very, very, very expensive coin. It's a very meaningful coin. It's a dowry, which we don't... It's a very, very, very important thing to her future, her security, everything. She finds it, she throws a party, and then we get this line in verse 10. Jesus explains the whole thing. In the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And the power of this is these stories don't feel like stories of repentance at this point. And I'll just tell you this, the sheep is one of the dumbest animals and will wander off on its own, fall off a cliff, hurt itself, and needs the shepherd, okay? It's not sorry. <laughs> it's just dumb. The coin is lost. It's a coin. Didn't choose anything, okay? It's not like the coin was like, I don't like you, and ran away, all right? That's not what happened. But then Jesus tells the third story. And the whole thing makes sense. See, in the third story, he tells the story of the prodigal son. Now, if you've never heard this, very quickly, I'm going to tell you the prodigal part. But we're not going to rest in the prodigal part, because that's not the parenting part that I think you and I struggle with. I think the parenting part we struggle with is the other son. See, the prodigal comes to his dad and he says, I wish you were dead. And I wish you were dead so much that you should give me my inheritance now before you die. And the father is like, this is crazy, but I will do what you ask. So he gives him his inheritance. The son, the prodigal, leaves, squanders it on wild living, finds himself in a pig pen eating the food from the pigs, and going, my, my father's servants eat better than this. Surely he would let me be a servant and I could be better. So he starts to write a speech on the way home, talking it out. And the Bible says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him, which in that day and age, a father never runs, never puts it, never shows in any way that he is beneath his son. He always elevates. He will wait for me and I will walk, is the idea. I'm the more important one. But no, he pulls up his robe and he runs to his son. And before the son can even get out the full apology, he's clothing him in the family, 
with the credit card that would have been the ring seal that the son could buy with, the sandals that would show that he is taken care of, the robes of the family that would show that he is security in a proper place. And then he's brought in, and they're going to throw a huge party. Incredible story of how we are never too far from grace. And then our Father runs to us when we make mistakes. And I think you and I, we get that. <laughs> but then we have kids. And I don't know if you've read that story recently when you have a five-year-old, but I see why the dad gave him his money. It's like, you're going to run? Go ahead. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> see you in 10 minutes. <laughs> right? But man, when I read the next half of this parable, that's when it gets tough for me. And I don't know if you've read the second half of this parable in a while, but I want to tell you right now, if you read it with your parenting glasses on, it changes some things. And I don't think it just changes some things for parents. I think it changes your relationship as a son or daughter with your parents. I don't know if you thought we were just going to talk to parents today, but I'm not. Verse 25, the son has already come back, the prodigal, and we catch up with the older son that stayed behind. Verse 25, some things highlighted here that I want to make sure I point out to you. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was where? He was in the field. Not in the house. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called out to one of the servants and asked, what is going on? Pause right there. Um, he didn't ask his dad. It's the first sign that something could be a little off. And the servant said, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has returned. Next verse, sorry. He has boop, come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Notice the posture between the prodigal and this is very similar because the father does not stand at the window. So the father came out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and you, and you have never disobeyed your orders. Never. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, when this son of yours who has squandered your property, isn't this just like a brother? With prostitutes. That's what a brother would do. Just throw the detail out there for your dad to chew on. Really? Just say squandered. Why would you say that? You dirty rascal comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. He, and everything I have is yours. That was, verse 30 to 22, he says this, but, but we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. 
He was lost, and now he's found. It's verse 32. I want to point out to you three mistakes that this son, the wayward son, or the older brother is the wayward son, by the way, rebellious, misses the point. Three things that the wayward son has made a mistake in. The first is he does not want forgiveness for his younger brother. He does not want forgiveness. No desire. Nope. Don't give it to him. The second, he believes he is 100% innocent. I have never disobeyed you. I would love to see behind the eyes of the father when he said that. Never? Really? Interesting. And the last is he compares and slanders the forgiven and the guilty. Rather than seeing his son, this brother of his that's been forgiven, and seeing the opportunity of restoration to be had, he slanders him in detail. And then even compares what his brother got to what he got. And if you notice in that text, he says, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, not including his father in the conversation. I just wanted something from you so I could do my own thing with it. Relationship is torn. I want to give you three ways that you can see real quickly to you avoiding being a wayward son or daughter. Maybe you might find yourself that you've obeyed the rules to a degree, you've never run off with prostitutes and squandered your father or mother's money, but you might be a little frightened to hear what it actually means to miss the point of being a wayward son or daughter. If you want to be identified with this older brother, then you need to, if you don't want to be (laughs) desired to be a wayward son or daughter, then you need to desire restoration. Do you desire restoration in your family with your parents? Do you desire it? With the, with the brother or the sister that has run away, has done the things, you know the details. Do you desire it? Not saying it's possible, not even asking you to say what the steps would be. I'm just asking, do you desire it? Second is, have you admitted your peace? I love this illustration. If the problem's a pie, all right, I don't care if it's 99%, you got a piece of the pie that's the problem. If the pie is 99%, someone else's, you got a piece. Have you admitted your piece? I tell couples in couples counseling, if you ever use the word always or never, it better be positive because it's not going to work if it's negative. Just won't work. You're going to break some rules. Well, you always, oh, goodness, what comes next? You never, oh, goodness, don't admit your piece of the pie. Can you admit it to yourself? Can you admit it to someone else? Do you see that you are not 100% innocent? Do you see it? The last one is, do you avoid comparisons? Man, it is easy to just beat your neighbor 
at being better at something. Uh, I love watching um, high school sports and then watching college sports and then watching NBA sports. Have you done this recently? Watch like a professional versus like a junior high or fourth grade basketball game? There's always a bigger fish, but you wouldn't tell that fourth grader any different because he walks after that court like I am Lord of this court and I am king of everyone on here. I have defeated them and they shall never again win because I am here. Have you, have you seen this? They strut like little peacocks out there, don't they? Winner. Then they face their older brother in the driveway or their dad takes him home and if he's a good dad, he doesn't take it easy on him. He doesn't just let him win puts him in his place, right? Because there's always a, better, always a bigger fish. Let me ask you, your feeling of being better come from comparison, not from personal effort, sanctification, discipline. Not from your heart, but from putting down or stepping on or stepping over others. That's what the wayward son did. I can see this coming out of his mouth all the time. At least I'm not Joey. Remember Joey? Yeah, dad, remember him? Anything I do, right? What does he say? I'm still here. At least I'm better than him. And nothing is built on concrete things or self-actual reflection, but built on comparison. Avoid it. Avoid it. This is where I want to flip the script. If we talked about what the wayward son was struggling with, we talked about how we can identify it sometimes and we need to avoid that comparison, then we need to talk about how we could possibly raise someone to not be this way. What would it look like? Because when I was researching this and looking at this week, this is what my heart would break for. My heart would break that I would have kids that would obey me, listen to me, follow my instructions, but their hearts would not desire to be with me and their hearts would actually be far from my heart's desires. That would crush me. I would much rather have a prodigal come home and actually receive that fullness of heart and to value the relationship than a wayward child pretend and be in my home. 99-1. The value of that coin. You start to see this pulling together. Proverbs 22.6. I was talking with someone this week about this verse. I love this verse. Um, Started children off the way they should go. And even, uh, how many of you guys know this verse? Have you heard this verse before? Raise your hand real quick. Tell me you're listening. Hold on. I got well, my visor on. I can see who's actually listening. Hey, yeah, good job. Y'all just started. Y'all know he's going to see me. <laughs> Uh, this is not a guarantee, uh, and I think sometimes when you read this verse, you read Proverbs, it's easy to go, oh, cool, put this in my math calculator for how I get good kids, and then uh, get a good kid at the end of it. Two plus two equals good kid, got it. But no, this is wisdom, and wisdom is great, right? But wisdom sometimes doesn't guarantee outcomes. If you eat vegetables 
and you exercise, that is awesome, that is wise, you should live to an old age, but that's no guarantee that cancer won't get you. This is not a guarantee. This is a healthy, wise thing. Remind yourself that as parents, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. They have a choice. But see this for what it is. You and I have choices that do affect our kids. How to become a wayward parent. Ooh, this is tricky. If you are going to model what your kids are going to become, don't find yourself in this category because you will create wayward children. The first is, do not ask for forgiveness or give it. If you're a parent right now and you have a two-year-old, or a 22-year-old, you better be doing this. You better be doing this. If you just don't ask for forgiveness, and then don't give it ever, sin will become a major issue. Starting early. If you want to become a wayward parent, believe your actions are always 100% innocent. As a parent, man, it is tough. I get it. There's insecurities that creep in. You know sometimes you make mistakes, but then it's like this indefensible thing. Like someone critiques you or you hear some advice or something gets said or even in your own mind and it's like your back prickles up and you're like, no, I did that right, right? And it's this pride in you that you're like, you'll never admit that maybe you had a tone or maybe there was a word or maybe there was a little bit of inconsistency or what? No, 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 no. I'm right. I'm the parent. Right? Careful. Careful. And then the last one, I think this is the easiest one that I see because of just the way our world is connected right now. Compare and slander the struggling and failing parent. Man, just compare and slander anyone else around you that is parenting and struggling. Just come at them guns blazing. Because if you cut them down, guess what? You're a step taller. (sighs) Down, down, down. Get down. About mine. And the category I've really been leading to is how to raise a prodigal son, a prodigal child. And I know a lot of times we hear that in the negative sense, but I wanted you to hear it in the prodigal son in the sense of this father had two sons and only one prodigal. The other one never came in. And he wasn't off in a far off place. He was in the field, but he was far from his father's heart. I want to raise a kid that can come home. I want to raise I want to raise boys that can learn how to be men. Not boys pretending in a field. First one is this, create foreknowledge that makes no mistake ever pass forgiveness. 
pay attention here. And this is, this is not just for parenting. This can be with all relationships, but specifically with like the younger age kids and then specifically with teenagers. Tell them before they make a mistake, there is forgiveness waiting for them. Tell them before something happens that forgiveness is waiting for them. And I know that is so tempting because you're like, that's like giving them permission to make a mistake. It's like handing the keys and saying, go have fun. Just say you're sorry. And I get that intuitively that's what it feels like. But how is that any different than the gospel? Just because the cross of Jesus that we just took communion and celebrated covers anything we could ever do, it doesn't lead me to abuse it. It leads me to pull into the Father. It leads me to go, no, I should listen. I should learn. I should, I should pull into him and believe he has the best. This is something, you, your kids, your kids are going to make a terrible mistake. And unless you have put a huge amount of forgiveness beforehand in their mind, they will not believe that it's waiting for them. Plant it early. Demonstrate it by forgiving people around you now. More than you want to. It could be the difference in them believing that you would forgive them. And not hide it. Not pretend like it's not a problem that you can't. But going to them. And going to you. And saying, I would forgive this. The second race for you and your child. Run and meet the problems with grace for you and your child. Go do it. One of the best leadership advice I ever got is do not wait if something is wrong. Go and fix it. Go and work on it. Have the conversation now. And bring grace with you. Like the father that picks up his robes and does not care when anybody looks. He's like, this is a moment for restoration. This is a moment for grace. This is an opportunity. If I don't care if it's in the middle of of the fast food restaurant. When you make a mistake, you get down on your knees, you look your son, you look your daughter in the eyes, and you say, I shouldn't have talked that way. That was harsh. I shouldn't have treated this man that way. He deserves better. And you offer yourself grace, and you ask for forgiveness in that moment. And whether it's in the car seat, on the road, as you've yelled at someone again, as they cut you off, whatever it is, whether it's to the way you talk to their mom or you talked to their dad, whether it's a divorced couple, whether it's a grandparent, estranged, abusive, addictive person on the road, extend grace, run and do this. Well, you are teaching your kids to come home and that you will meet them on the road. And you are teaching your heart to come home to God too in the same breath. It is not weakness, it is strength to admit that God is stronger and that grace is for everyone. You will do this, I will do this so much. I know I will because I'm selfish and I want what I want sometimes even as a parent. Fight hard to meet them with grace. Run. Do it now. 
fast before you forget. And the last one is, and this goes along with just what I said, be the voice that reminds lost things they can be found and dead things that they can live again. Anytime you see the gospel play out around you, you better be a voice that says, that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. This is what God does. This is his specialty. This is what he's all about. You're sad now. God brings joy. Thing is dead, but now it will not stay there because of the faith in Jesus. Your grandma now will not stay there. She will be alive again. And you bring that voice into your kid's life. That prodigal son saw his dad say he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead and gone. The relationship was over, and now he is alive, and he is with me. Some of you longed for a parent to say this to you, and they never did. You longed for a parent to ask for forgiveness or to extend forgiveness, you longed for a parent to run with grace. You longed for a parent to look at you and say, I'm so glad I found you. You're mine. That's what it takes to raise a prodigal. Because we're all prodigals, you guys. You're raising prodigals because we're all prodigals. We all run from God and need to come home. You are God to your kids. Be the example. Be the influence. Let them see Jesus through you. More forgiveness. More grace. Life to the full. Jeremiah 31 speaks of the new covenant. And I need to hit this before we end so you can see the full picture. We just zoomed in on Luke 15. I want to pull you back and see how Luke 15 is Jesus talking about a kingdom that's been coming from the very beginning. It's been coming for a long time. Jeremiah 31, Jesus is referenced here, but it's not specifically said. It's talking about a new covenant coming. The old covenant was rules and regulations, the wayward brother. The new covenant is grace and forgiveness, the prodigal. What the old covenant missed was the heart, and what the new covenant will claim is the heart. Jeremiah 31 says this, This is the covenant I will make with my people Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Talking about us, the new kingdom. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For why will they know me? For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins. The prodigal came hundreds of years before Jesus ever told this story. 
Hundreds of years before Jesus ever told this story, he said, there will be a time that is coming that all people of every nation will have an opportunity because my love is so big, so grand, that my forgiveness will surpass any of their wickedness, and they in grace will come home, and I will remember their sins no more, and they will receive life in my son, and it will be a new kingdom. So here it is, boiled down into one phrase, if you get nothing else, forgiveness is the key. Give it and receive it. Give it and receive it. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, as we enter into all kinds of relationships, whether it be parenting, whether it be helping our parents finish well, and talking with them and engaging with them and recognizing our wayward ways. Whether it be reaching out and helping the next generation to rise up, to walk in forgiveness and grace, to believe that God is big enough for their wickedness, to trust him. God, help us to receive that forgiveness and then to give it out. To receive the life that you are offering. Lord, we love you so much. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Today is simple. Our response time is intentionally put here for you to respond to what God is calling you to do. So there's just two ways to respond this morning. I mean, there's a multitude. You could pray about some other things that are going on. I'm not trying to limit what God could do, but I'm going to ask you to do one of two things specifically. Well, first one is this. If you need forgiveness... There might be someone in this room, you just need to call and ask it. You might need to just send a text right now. You may not be able to tell them anymore. They may be long gone. You don't even know their name anymore, but it sits in your heart right now. And you feel it and you know it was wrong and you don't know where they're at. There's going to be some people in the back. You just go and you tell them their name and then you say, I want forgiveness. And they're going to pray for you and you're going to receive it. And there's another group of these people in here. You need to extend forgiveness. And it may, it may be more destructive to send a message because they don't remember even the offense. Right? They don't remember even what you did. They don't remember the incident, but it's sat in your mind for forever. It's, it's sat in your heart for a long time, and it has made you hard, and you're out in the field, and you don't want to come in because you don't want to forgive. I want you to forgive them. And if you never send it, I want you to write a text message out on your phone right now. Or if you need to talk to someone, you're going to go in the back and you're going to pray. You're going to say that name and you're going to say, I forgive them. Pray for me. Help me forgive them. Need to forgive them today. There may be somebody in this room that you need to do that with. Don't let the sun set. Don't let the day go by. Run and extend grace. Extend forgiveness. The key to the new kingdom, to the heart of God, is forgiveness. If we will not receive it and extend it, we will be lost. We will miss it. Let's respond to God this morning. Let's receive and give forgiveness. If anyone would like to specifically pray, I will be up here as well. But let's do this together right now.